Hey guys, and Merry Christmas. It's industrial automation. It doesn't have to. Christmas edition. I'm Brandon Ellis, your host, and I'm here with Beth Elliott and the Christmas tree glasses. Hey, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not watching our live video feed, uh, you may want to tune in because I've got the Santa hat and she's got the Christmas tree glasses and we're feeling really festive today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and festive is what we need because we're going to be talking about something that's kind of dark, cybercrime and cybersecurity. This is a hot topic today with, with instances of industrial uh, cybercrime occurring at an alarming rate, and that's just with industrial manufacturing. What steps should you take to protect your systems, and how does that affect your IoT goals? Let's dig in. Join us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new to our program, I'm Brandon Ellis, and I'm your host and also the owner of Elatech. Before we start today's episode, I just want to ask that you consider hitting the follow button and the subscribe button, depending upon the platform you're listening upon. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you hear, please go to the show page and scroll to the bottom. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started with today's episode. All right, Beth, Christmas tree glasses in full effect. That's right. <laughs> the Santa hat is heating up. I bet it is. Under these to... headphones. <laughs> Do you want to take a little break and take it off? <laughs> <sighs> we'll see how long I can make it. Okay. <laughs> if, if I start sweating, maybe I'll get electrocuted. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so welcome to the show today. Cyber security is kind of the topic, and I, I don't mean to jump in on the title. We'll, we'll hold the title for, for your big deal there. But um, that's the thing we're going to be talking about. But updates. Yes. What updates do we have? Well, we've been doing all kinds of stuff with robots and welding and, and IoT, and we're doing even more stuff with IoT and robots together. Oh, And so as you start bringing in more of the IoT, and, and it's interesting, 2021 has been an interesting year. A big push for automation, especially amongst uh, uh, the need uh, or you know, for labor, you mm -hmm. know, so labor shortages have spurred a lot of automation. Our last podcast, we talked about some interesting things there, uh, some new brandology as far as the four things. If, if you think you've got something that's a, just a drop in the bucket, no-brainer application to automate with, specifically with a robot, be it collaborative or industrial, Check out that podcast and, and, and run the litmus test on the four extra things that you may want to think about. It's the Brandology new list. <laughs> yeah. We, we keep building upon it. That's right. <laughs> Brandology never stops. Um, but it, it's some interesting things there. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also, in 2021, I felt like, uh, from our experience, the beginning, in the beginning of the year, that we had, we you know, IoT in general was a really trending hot topic. And then in 2021, it kind of, and well, 2020 pandemic year, everything kind of pressed pause, mm -hmm. on, except we began more of this remote work and remote support and remote kind of push. That said, IoT, IoT didn't go away. IoT changed definitions. Okay. And I'm not so sure if, if we, the people, change that or if marketing changed that. Yeah. And it kind of brings me to a bit of a, a brand rant. Okay. Because as we're talking about cybersecurity, I kind of have to say, what is, what is IoT? What is it? 
and what is it not? Now, you and I in past past podcasts, we've talked quite a bit about uh, not just cybersecurity, we've talked about that before, but IoT in general. The number one reason for any manufacturing organization to implement an IoT system is to make educated business decisions. That's a result of a successful IoT system. And that's what I want to point out in this little bit of a rant. Can I rant? Please. (laughs) What IoT is not is it is not remote support. And I recently uh, saw, and I've heard this before, uh, from various folks, not just one person, but various folks, uh, integrators, machine builders, suppliers, and then just the manufacturers that sell the the black box solutions, uh, saying, you know, you can buy this, you know, $75, $80, $100 box and securely, securely remote, allow remote support between the machine builder, the machine manufacturer, the integrator, whatever. And of course, that sounds fantastic. And in 2020, we had to do that. We were yeah. forced to do it. So we were trying, people were trying to go that route in 2019, 2018, 2019, building into the pandemic. And it was always pushed down, pushed away. Why? Because of IT. They wouldn't allow that vector in. Cybersecurity yeah. concerns. Well, 2020, we were forced, I mean, IT was forced to change the way because manufacturers were still trying to produce. The interesting thing about the pandemic, there was there was a time of uh, you know a couple couple of couple of quarters that a lot of companies did shut down, but quite a few did not. They were considered mm-hmm. essential, and they had to keep manufacturing because the demand, the consumer demand, whether it was food, automobiles, whatever, did not. It didn't go away. Subside. Yeah. So they had to keep manufacturing. So the machines had to keep running. But no one's allowed in the plant. No one's allowed to travel. None of this stuff is done. So IT had to essentially, uh, honestly, they had to step aside. They had to let their guards down. They had to, to ease their security concerns if they were, were in the cybersecurity fold of understanding all that was at risk. They had to lower, lower their standards. Their standards. Yeah. To let people remote in. And somehow we define that as IoT, and it's not. It's remote support. So why do I bring that up? Well, because today's topic is not IoT. Today's topic is cybercrime and cybersecurity. But with industrial manufacturing, that largely leads itself, lends itself to IoT. And so my rant comes down to even whether you define it as IoT or not, if someone says, hey, for, for $75, I can put this thing in. It's going to allow me to remote in and do that. And, and again, integrators, whether they're single single person, you know, one, one person integrator companies, you know, single employee companies, or they're huge multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar uh, machine builders, machine suppliers, OEMs, or integration companies. That same device will allow them to do this. And, and honestly, it's probably secure. It probably encrypts everything and allows a connection directly to their machine. It's not a bad thing, but the rub is this. When you promote that as the integrator, in my opinion, you are taking responsibility for that connection. So as long as you're using that connection, you need to make sure that it's, it's used correctly. Mm-hmm. And IT should hold you to that if they allow it, if they allow you to do that. What this means is... Uh, and I'm, and I think about the the largest still the largest data breach in history was the Target data breach. Now it's probably been four, five or six years ago. Target had paid 
an HVAC company to do a, a unified HVAC uh, monitoring system and control system, basically a SCADA system in the HVAC world that would control, regulate, turn on, turn off, and monitor all of their systems for all the targets in the U.S. And they had the ability to remote in on that network and set it up. Now, IT did make a little bit of a mistake here. They allowed that same system to be integrated with their point-of-sale system, POS, point-of-sale, cash registers, card readers, all that kind all of stuff. That- Sensitive information. Yep. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But that was that was the case. So here's what's interesting, because this really defines what cybercrime looks like today, 2021. They came in. What, what happened was they compromised a PC for one of the technicians for the HVAC company. They got the username and password. Now, we're going to assume that the company, the HVAC company, had no knowledge of this, mm-hmm. which is entirely possible. Had, they had knowledge and they did not disclose that. Oh, that'd be bad. They are 100% liable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm just saying, as far as ethics and morals, they're 100% liable. And so I'm going to assume they didn't have knowledge of this. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is the cyber criminal, the organization that, that gained that, figured out that that username and password gave them access to this network that was part of the target, they may not even realize it was target at the time. I'm sure they probably did. Give them access to the HVAC system. What's interesting is through that whole data breach, the heating and cooling system worked flawlessly. So they had no clue. It was not. Don't don't confuse cybercrime for thinking that the effects are as simple as they're going to go in and disable the heat heat on you know negative twenty four degree day in Minnesota, and see if they can you know freeze the pipes. I mean that's the kind of stuff hackers used to do. The teenage hacker kind of used to do to 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 you know back in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> What this is about is they came in on the HVAC system, and then they started rooting around. They realized we have another system that's on here, Windows-based, Windows XP systems uh, that had not been updated, that were no longer supported by Microsoft. Vulnerabilities were known and published by all those, not by Microsoft, but all those that know those things. Mm-hmm. And they used those vulnerabilities to collect every person's credit card swipe, their debit card swipes, and collect their PIN numbers. For every, what ended up being every transaction in every store for three months. That's a lot of information. So an analogy. Let's pretend like we're in a strip mall and in one of the the stores is a jewelry store, fine jewelry store, and right next to it is a bank. Okay. And we figure out, we still, the, the key fob one of the key fobs from the employees, and we're able to fob in and go into the jewelry store okay, undetected. But what we realize is there's a door that we can easily pick the lock to that leads into the vault of the bank. Oh. We never steal a single jewel, but we take all the money from the bank without them realizing it. That's what cybercrime looks like today. Very sneaky. That, that's if I, and, and that's if I'm stealing stuff. What if I'm threatening... Oh, that's even worse. To give it? everybody this access. That is the difference. Now, so how does this all tie together? If you basically promote a vector, 
you were taking responsibility. Now, if they came to you and said, we would like you to do this, would you use this? Then that's that's different, that's, but I'd get that in writing. For sure. But if you promote it and you use it and it's found that someone came in through the vector you introduced and maybe didn't touch the machine that you're responsible for, but jumped out on the network and began ransoming other assets there and it's traced back, which is entirely possible to do uh, just through IT forensics to see where they, where they came in and it's traced back to you, I would maintain that you are liable. That's a big responsibility. And that is something no one talks about. The whole room goes to crickets because the company that made the device, even though it's 100% secure, it's encrypted, that kind of thing, they're not responsible for your PC and your handling of that piece of equipment. And everything they have will say that. If you're going to uh, a, a 5G cellular bridge past IT, you read the EULA, whether it's Google, whether it's Amazon. Whether, we can say that those, by their standards, are secure. But if you read their EULA, it's going to say, number one, no one can sue us for the intellectual property you place here, but we're not responsible if it gets out. Wow. And so well, why would they be? You know, they can't manage that. They're yeah. not going to manage that. So if you're an integrator, machine builder, OEM, and you're promoting this, my question to you is, who is responsible if it's found that your vector, you're the HVAC system, you're the people that were allowed in, you couldn't contain your system, and through your carelessness, other people were able to use your access as a vector and wreak havoc for this company. And we're talking about some expensive things. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So this a little bit more of a rant. <laughs> I didn't mean to rant so much. But the important thing is remote support is not IoT. So what do I define IoT to be? I define IoT to basically be the secure transference of data. That's it. Nothing more. Everything else is a result. Okay. Your machine monitoring, your AI for preventive maintenance, your dashboards for making business decisions, those are results. You cannot do any of that if you don't have the data. But if that data is not securely transferred, now you got a problem. So you've got to make sure that aspect is transferred. Do not confuse this with remote support. Remote support is a totally different thing in IT your responsibility is to handle that in a responsible way. And integrators, machine builders, and OEMs, your responsibility is to make sure that you handle your systems in such a way that you're not careless about giving that away. Mm -hmm. And that is the only way we're going to get past the, the fastest growing business, I guess, be it legal or illegal, uh, which is cyber criminal and ransomware activity. It's a big deal. It is. It's huge. So that said, give me the title. Oh, <laughs> oh, I wonder what it is. <laughs> Industrial automation. It doesn't have to be risky. Be risky. So um, it kind of does. You, you going to lose them? <laughs> I've, I've got to. Yeah. Because I'm going to have to do some reading yeah. here. <laughs> Those don't double for reading glasses. No, huh? they don't. <laughs> um, 
All right. So, so yeah. So the riskiness. So you've done some research on this uh, on the internet. Tell us a little bit about what you've what you found. What's okay. the internet say? Okay. So with uh, industrial es- espionage, a growing threat, a lot of manufacturers' intellectual property is in the form of unstructured data. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between structured and unstructured data? And it says structured data is typically stored in relational databases and displayed in defined columns and rows, so data mining tools and algorithms can analyze it. Examples include inventory management systems, sales control and and analysis, customer relation management. Okay, CRM, right? Yep. So unstructured data is not organized, but it's stored in easily accessible and shared formats, such as emails, spreadsheets, uh, Word docs, PDFs, images, audio, video files, social posts, and texts. Okay. So uh, there's nothing that that's just pretty typical there, isn't it? I, I think I think for the internet, which is sometimes painfully bland <laughs> in general, uh, that that's probably. I'm agreeable with that. Okay. Uh, structured data just means it's in a structured environment. Now, I mean, unstructured means it's not organized. And email, spreadsheet, Word docs, PDFs, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. But there's the thing called data lakes. Uh, there's there's unrelational, I guess we call them unrelational type database. So they don't have database forms. They're still databases, but uh-huh. we refer, I refer to them as data lakes. Uh, where we just kind of throw everything in, and then you subscribe to what you want. It's there's there's back and forth about that all day long as far as usability. But from a cyber security standpoint, you really between structured and unstructured, it really comes down to where it's stored and how it's okay. how it can be accessed. In my mind, so that kind of leads us to um, to what the uh, from general internet research. Okay. Uh, To protect from insider and outsider threats, manufacturers can secure data across endpoints, networks, storage, and the cloud in these ways. Okay. The first one, ensure all all the patents and copyrights are secured in a protective environment. Educate employees about safety and security. Okay, I'm uh, I'm holding my. I, I figured you were, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've already hold got one right now. Hold all questions yeah, until yeah. after. <laughs> General internet. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, drop my seat. Sorry, <laughs> those of you on video, you got a good show there. All right. <laughs> my my hat probably. Where is it? Yeah, it probably. Woo. All right. So sorry. Well, we might be able to do that in slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Now back to seriousness. Yeah. Uh, label valuable intellectual property. Okay. Know what tools are being used to protect the intellectual property and where it is. And perform a risk analysis, cybersecurity risk assessment. So, Brandon, tear that apart for us. Number (laughs) one, ensure all patents and copyrights. I don't know why specifically patents and copyrights, but patents and copyrights are secured in a protective environment. What is a protected environment? It's easy to say. That's a nice word. That's a good for sales brochure. But what is a protected environment nowadays? I don't know. I mean, I mean because honestly, even, even if you put it on a hard drive, yank it out of the computer and send it to the landfill, is it protected? Is it still protected? The answer is no. It's now out of your control. You, even if you put it in a safety security deposit box at your bank, maybe. But then now accessing it's pretty hard. A pain, yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, from my experience with patents, you know, the patent stuff we we've done and 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 copyright law, and even trademarks, which you know, you you basically have to disclose that 
all the information that you Yeah, you don't think yeah, I mean you don't you don't have to throw out all of your stuff, but if you don't, it's called a trade secret. And that's a different thing. You you can't patent a trade secret. You can register something as a trade secret, which means basically we're keeping it a secret. But you have to be very careful about how you label all that. And it talks about labeling valuable intellectual property. Maybe that's what that has to do with. To me, if you're labeling it, especially I'm thinking online folder structures and stuff like that, you're really telling the thieves this is the stuff you want to encrypt and ransom me for. But uh, ensuring patents and copyrights, patents, patents you open up. You kind of open it up to say this is how we're doing this and this is this is the thing, the process, the 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 method, whatever – we're wanting to patent. This is it. This is how we're building this thing, or this is how how we're we're making this thing, or something. You have to open that up. It's called a schematic. You open that up. So I don't really understand what the what the internet's saying there. But my real rub is what's a protected environment. I mean, we used to say a hosted environment is a fairly protected environment, but it's not. Not anymore. Yeah. The the other thing is, um, yeah, yeah. Educate employees about safety and security. We talked about this before. I, it's kind of a humorous story. I've got a customer, uh, their IT, uh, he was telling me that their IT group sends out fabricated phishing emails that they fabricated themselves to help with educating their employees. And if you click on it and it's the wrong thing and you get dinged, you have to do so many hours of training. Of course. <laughs> and and he said it was almost shutting down the engineering group because so many of them had such a backlog of, of training requirements now because they were falling for these Apparently, their IT group was really good at fabricating these phishing emails, and so, and so they just had lopped up so such. They had to get them done by the end of the year, and they were like, "We're going to have to take off all of December, yeah, (laughs) to to get our training back up because we just keep." So he was just like, "I just don't even open emails anymore," Um, and so you know it's counter, and that's not true. I mean, I'm sure he did, but uh, he was joking, of course. But uh, but that's the thing, you know, if. If you make passwords very difficult, what's that mean? That means they're going to go on the posty note and stick on the monitor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So anybody that can see the monitor can see the password. Uh, I went to a hotel once checking in, and while I'm sitting there, you know, checking in, waiting for, you know, they're taking my credit card and things of that nature. I looked there, and there were about four sticky notes at the base of the monitor. Were they all passwords? And it was like Google email account, username, password, this email account, password, this login, username, password. They were all laid out right there. I could have easily taken a cell phone, just just really nonchalantly take snapped a picture of it, and I'd have all those things. Very easy. If you make passwords hard and hard to remember, that's what people do. Mm-hmm. So educating the employees is a challenge. It's always going to be. And my heart goes out to all the IT folks that have had to deal with that. But... I don't understand, know what tools are being used to protect the intellectual property and where it is. And unless there's encryption software or something like that, but why do you need, you know, who needs to know that? I don't, I don't know that I would, I would think, think everybody. the key people yeah. would need that information. Um, and because if you're coming from the cyber criminal standpoint, if I know exactly what you're using, then I might know the vulnerability associated with that. It'd be easier to figure out, wouldn't easier it? Easier to know how to come at you. But really, to me, you can take A, B, C, and D there in our list. I know y'all don't have those letters we do on our outline here. Uh, the last one being, you know what tools are being used to protect the intellectual property and where it is. E, reform a risk, perform a risk analysis and cybersecurity risk assessment. That's really what it comes down to. Is what we, you got to look at the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we go about doing that? 
Well, what's the difference between a cyber risk and an, an assessment? A vulnerability? A vulnerability, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the the risk and the vulnerability, that's a good question. Uh, you brought that up to me before uh, as we were putting this outline together. And I, and I had to think about that. That's a good question uh, that you have. And, and basically what it comes down to, a vulnerability is a known weakness of a system. If you're using Windows on a production floor or in the office or anything, there are vulnerabilities associated with Windows. It's a fact. Some of those vulnerabilities, though, aren't things we're going to go away. We're not going to patch them because they're needed. Um, it's sometimes necessary to bridge between, for example, to be able to bridge network ports, to be able to bridge two networks. It's sometimes necessary and sometimes very, very beneficial. Some, concern, some call that a vulnerability of Windows, being able to bridge networks. It's really according to the perspective you're coming from. From a cybersecurity standpoint, yes, that's a vulnerability. From trying to, to grab the logistics network and all the stuff that's set up on it and the accounting network and all the stuff that's on that within the ERP system and get those two to where they can share data between them easily without having to go out and reassess all the IP addresses and the network structures and the, keep them on VLANs and things of that nature, that is is key. So it's not so much a vulnerability. It's It's a... It's a nice feature. <laughs> and so how you think about that. So a vulnerability is, is a potential weakness that exists on a system. But the, the cyber risk or the risk in general is what's the chances that someone's going to be able to be either be able to uh, use that and take advantage of that vulnerability or that if they were able to, that it would lead to what make it worthwhile. Uh, so so that's really the way I would define those two. Okay. A vulnerability is something that exists on a system. A cyber risk is what's the chances that somebody's going to be able to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. If you have your whole office network set up and it all ties to a modem that has a public IP address and there is no firewall whatsoever, your cyber risk is pretty doggone high. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and but, but if you have firewalls, if you then pull that down and have VLANs and things like that, every one of these things that uh, – that, It's and a then, layer. The, yeah, all these different layers of security that IT implements, each one reduces that cyber risk. Okay? Now, and then there's always the, the folks that say, you know, well, well, there's no risk on our side because we're not connected. This computer never gets connected to the web or anything like that. We're going to talk about that. So that's called a vector. Mm -hmm. Connecting to the web, it presents a vector. But even if you're connecting to the web, you have all these, you should have all these layers or some layers, some, some amount of layers of security before you actually get out to the public, public side uh, between your system and there. And then even on your system, virus, you know, engines and things of that nature if you're a PC-based environment. And, and honestly, it's just as bad nowadays for the, the, the larger, you know, Ubuntu and, and various uh, Linux-based, really, Windows-like boxes. Uh, so PCs and things of that nature. Just because it's a Linux OS doesn't mean, if it's, if it's a, especially if it's a full-functioning PC-based environment, desktop-based environment, uh, there's just as many vulnerabilities there. But having those layers of, of, of protection help help reduce that risk. But it, it doesn't completely alleviate it. And and so if – this is where we've, we've talked about 5G. Oh, yeah. The cellular-based, marketed by, by, you know, many 
product builders out there and manufacturers, OEMs, do the 5G thing. Again, this is remote support, remote machine monitoring, that kind of thing. As soon as you do that, that 5G signal bypasses all those layers of support. And if I plug my PC into that, that PC now has just bypassed. We presented a new vector. Rewind back to my rant. Who's responsible? Who's liable? It may be going to their cloud. It may be going to an Amazon cloud, Google cloud, whatever. And those folks are going to say, yeah, we're secure, but we're not responsible even if we're not. So who's responsible? So if a machine, if someone's doing machine monitoring, they're doing their cloud-based dashboards and things of that nature, they're wanting this to be a 5G or whatever, that bypasses IT's layers of security if that's done with or without IT's knowledge, then now you're you're really reliant. Any system that's connected to that is reliant upon their cloud-based system, their security. Because again, it's not necessarily about getting hacked and someone stealing, you know, this machine data. That's what I've heard. Well, we don't care if they get that information. Remember the jewelry store. We go in that way and we don't want to interrupt that. When viruses come into a host, they really don't want to destroy the host right away. They need to do Not some damage. Not right away, yeah. They need to replicate. They need to infect others, that kind of thing. That's how they propagate in humankind and animals and whatever. So we want to go in. We want to keep that pristine, that connection pristine and unknown because that's our that's our end. And we want to start looking around. And that's really what cyber criminal activity is today. Because here's the thing. Most corporations, most manufacturers that you work with will have you sign non-disclosure agreements and things of that nature. And in those non-disclosure agreements, it basically says that you're responsible for protection, the protection of any intellectual property, any trade secrets, any of their stuff that's confidential. If you store it in any way on your computers, on your servers, in your cloud space, whatever, that you are responsible for that. And what cyber crime, cyber criminals have been doing, this is not new. This is what's been happening in 2021. As as ransomware has grown, what it comes down to is you're it's not going to be they steal your company's information, open a credit card account, and they go do identity theft and buy thirty thousand dollars worth of Amazon stuff. I mean, that's personal level. On the business level, as cybercrime goes, what it amounts to is it comes down to an individual or a few individuals or a small you know, business or something like that and says, we have gained access to your systems. We have encrypted all of this data that we know belongs to this other company. And if you don't pay our ransom, we're going to make it public record. We're going to notify them that you have not been able to maintain your agreements, your confidentiality agreements, things of that nature. And we're not going to destroy you. We're going to let them destroy you. Unless you pay the ransom. Unless you pay the ransom. Wow. And that, that's the kind of stuff that can end a smaller company, Absolutely. even a medium-sized company. Yeah. It can end them. And so it's not something to be taken lightly, guys. This is real stuff. And it's, and it's really happening. And it's really happening in 2021. Mm-hmm. So how can we get past that? What is what are the factors that really we can do? And what it comes down to is to really do a risk assessment. Okay. So what is part of a risk assessment? Well, you have to look at what's the threat or threats. Yeah, there's more than one now. Yeah. What what's the what is vulnerable in the system? And and if it's breached, 
what's my recovery plan? Is there a recovery plan? Because you got two two sides of the coin. You've got can I build it back? Yeah. And just ignore it. Sorry. Yep, you got me. Whatever. I'm ignoring you. We don't negotiate with terrorists kind of mentality. And you've got the backups to where you just go, oh, let me step back in time, pull everything back. We're up and going and we're, we fixed the vulnerability. You know, we fixed the And I the guess you leaking. smoothed it over with. And you go. Who? But you can't do that because that's, that's the one thing. The second thing is how do you, how do you control the damage? And I don't know how you do that. But, but you've got to decide. The way you have to do that is you've got to main, you've got to rely, be relying upon those, those constant layers of security. You, you need to be careful about what you agree to store on your server. And from an integration standpoint, especially with some of the smaller integrators that we deal with, and I, I know many, many that own companies that are smaller and larger and things of that nature, they need to be careful. They need to take that seriously. No longer are the days of just, I remember walking in back in the 80s and 90s and we'd walk in, I'd walk into a customer and they'd say, you need to sign this non-disclosure agreement. Whatever. Sign it. Let's go. You need to read it. Oh, we, we read those now. <laughs> those things have to go to, to 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 the you know the law office and things of that nature for for good reason mm-hmm. because in my opinion you are taking responsibility for your actions if you do that and they're very serious about that mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. because their larger manufacturers they're also giving their word that their contractors their suppliers mm-hmm. their vendors are also being held to these same it's like guidelines. a domino effect isn't that's right. It? That's right. Yeah. So we're privileged today to be able to have a special guest, um, an individual that I have worked with in the past, and I've just always been blown away with his knowledge. But especially, uh, we have we have just had so many conversations about risk analysis. Now, he's not going to tell us what you should and shouldn't do, and if you do this, then there's no risk. But the conversations I like to have with him is um, more so about what, in general, what are some of the key things that makes for a healthy risk assessment? Because there are different levels of risk. And you don't want to treat everything as if, you know, it's Fort Knox or, or you know, it's, it's all of the personal employee information or something like that. You don't have to, to hit it with all that kind of, kind of armor. So that said, Beth, tell us about Keith. All right. Yeah, our special guest today is Keith Moore. He's also known as Network Protocol Guru. (laughs) Keith has been programming for more than 40 years. He was a senior research associate at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, for more than 15 years. While at UT Knoxville from 1996 to 2000, Keith was the Applications Area Director for IESG, Internet Engineering Steering Group. It's the steering group for the Internet Engineering Task Force, and as the Applications Area Director, Keith supervised the development of protocol specifications and other standards. I think that's pretty impressive. Keith is a professional, yeah. an impressive guy. Yeah. yeah, he's also he spent the last fourteen years in industrial IoT device development, and due to Keith's wealth of experience with internet application protocols and architecture, he is a champion for IoT cybersecurity. Welcome to the show, Keith. Oh, thanks, Beth. <laughs> yeah, Keith. Keith has um, worked with us in a consultative uh, role with our IoT products in multiple multiple times and multiple uh, ways. And I've always uh, had ample respect, Keith, for for your 
your viewpoints and your experience, uh, certainly a lot more experience than, than, than I've got. Um, but we've had some fantastic conversations. And so we're talking about, uh, you know, we just started, we just, just finished talking about the difference between cyber risk and, and, and a vulnerability and the fact that a vulnerability, uh, could actually be not a vulnerability, but a, a feature, according to which perspective uh, you're, you're, you're coming from. Sometimes bridging, a net, uh, bridging network cards on a Windows-based system is, is a good thing, you know, is a purposeful thing, but sometimes it's a vulnerability. But that cyber risk really decides how, how exposed is that vulnerability. And so what we're drilling down to is an actual term that I actually learned from my conversations uh, some years ago with you, uh, which was basically you really need to start with with kind of a risk analysis. You remember those conversations? I'm sure we've had them many times. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a favorite topic of mine. <laughs> yeah. So and and I think it's a very wise way to look at things to kind of put that together. So so from your vantage point. I want to know what a risk analysis is, but first I want to talk about basically an analogy for, for those that aren't IT experts. An analogy that I often use is the human body versus, you know, and a virus and how it affects the human body and how that relates to a computer system or a phone system or whatever you've got, some type of an IT-based device. And so, and I'm not getting off in the weeds on We've been talking a lot about, I know that this country's been, well, this world has been talking about viruses a lot, but I think it's relatable in that it works kind of the same way. So for those of you who, who may have gone through eighth grade science class, uh, we learned that there's viruses all around us at all times of various types, common cold, whatever. And they can sit on our skin. They can sit on you know, your hair. They can sit on your clothes. It's no big deal. For a virus to do anything, it has to find entryway inside the body. And that can be orally, through nasal passages, through your eyes, through, through cuts, scrapes, things of that nature. But it's got to get in. And then it may or may not do something, according to immune the immunities and stuff like that. We'll get to that in a minute. But in a PC system, isn't that the same thing, Keith? The, the USB ports, Ethernet ports, Bluetooth interfaces, aren't those the same kind of entry points on a, on a PC system? I think yeah, it's a valid analogy that that there's always some way that uh, some sort of attack has to has to penetrate into your facility or your network or your computer, and the places that I would start looking are exactly those. I would look at any kind of well, you know, any kind of communications port that exists on a device is a potential way in, whether or not something's hooked to it normally. Um, and I would also look at there's there's many layers that you need to look at, including physical access. If someone had the ability to open up a box, then there's all kinds of ways to attack a box from the inside. Uh, but even if they don't, then communications ports, whether by directly connecting to the device or over a network, uh, you're taking a rogue device and plugging it in, like, like say to a USB port, um, but but I'd say almost anything that has a connector on it is something that you'd want to look at. You also want to think about wireless access if mm-hmm. the device supports that, Bluetooth or Ethernet or anything else, Wi-Fi. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of things you want to look at, but that's a good way to start uh, analyzing a particular device. What are all the things that can connect to it? And then what kinds of threats could emanate 
from something that you connect to this device, either directly to the device or over a network or something, some other device. So let's talk about directly, direct interfaces. And when I think of that, I think of things like, you know, thumb drives. You mentioned a USB thumb drive, uh, you know, those types of devices. Um, uh, or if you're plugging, you know, a network cable or connecting wirelessly to something or some network, then that really is no different than plugging a USB port in. You, you, you've introduced that same level of communication. And so here's some of the things that I've that I've heard about and, and honestly know to be true, but I thought you might have some some thoughts on them. Uh, so one of the one of the tricks uh, is that 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 folks are running around. Um, various companies, whoever whoever they're wanting to target, and they'll 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 plant. I guess is the way to say it. They'll plant these USB drives. They'll put them near entrances or in parking lots, or maybe drop them just off the sidewalk where employees walk a lot and things of that nature. Just baiting them, hoping that they'll grab them, because the only way you can know what's on this USB stick is to plug it into a USB port. I'm right about that, right, Keith? There's no other way. To know well, you could you could you could plug it into something else like you don't you know don't necessarily think well you've got a PC on your on your company network that may have access via that network to any number of other things or whatever and you plug that drive in at least some PCs could be set up to auto launch software from that drive and so the mere act of plugging it in can cause your system to be attacked. Um, so you have to be very careful about that. And also any USB device, you may think it's a thumb drive. You may think it's only a storage device. But a single USB device can act like several different USB devices on the wire, including a network adapter or anything that you could get via USB. And so their systems can be attacked that way. You plug in something you think is one thing, and it turns out to be, you know, in addition to whatever it looks like, it's also uh, something that looks like a network adapter that will then start talking to your computer and attacking it. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be very careful with these things. They're they're very deceptive. I heard a story of of an employee actually ended up with a a mouse. Now I don't know I don't know where the mouse came from. I, I doubt it came from Best Buy or Amazon or something. Maybe it did. I, I don't. I would I would think not. But but. I'm guessing maybe it was a, a trinket kind of mouse or maybe maybe from a trade show. You know, trade shows are kicking back up in 2021. They're pushing forward in 2022, and there's no shortage. And, Keith, I think you brought this up in a conversation with me, that, that people hand out these these thumb drives, and some of them are business card shapes. Some of them are little trinkets that you can open up and plug in. And I, I as a, you know, a, a techno weenie gearhead kind of kind of engineer always liked those things. I thought it was pretty cool, you know, to have have uh, pull out a, a credit card in my wallet and it actually flips over and it's a USB drive, you know, that kind of stuff. And we, from a marketing standpoint, we've talked about that endless amount of time. Um, but is that really the wisest thing to do? I I don't think so. And again, you don't you you really don't know. Even if you buy a device from a reputable manufacturer or a reputable store. You know, you don't really know for sure. No one's exerting that kind of quality control or, or uh, you know, source control over these devices. But my rule of thumb is I'm never going to use a device that someone gave me for free. Um, you know, that, that that's not perfect. But I'm like, you know, if someone gave this to me at a trade show, that I probably don't need it so badly that I need to trust it. Sure. I'm going to – 
trust as few things as I need to trust. So, so, um, so here we go. So, so now, now the skeptic in me. I mean, really, Brandon, is that is that really? Beth, is that really going to happen? I mean, is somebody really going to try to plant USB sticks out there? Is somebody really going to give away and plant them, you know, in their booth or whatever? And and the answer is yes, it's happening. It's it absolutely. It, Go ahead, Keith. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not. Um, it's not unheard of, and it's not something that's restricted to like three-letter state-supported agencies. Um, you know, you never know in the supply chain for this USB device who has some motive motive to attack, you know, random computers that this thing might have been plugged into. Um, and it, it's just, you know, with things being sourced from all over the world and, you know, various agencies would like to attack computers, say, in the United States for whatever purpose, you just don't know. And I don't know of a good way to make sure that such a device is not uh, threatening. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I did. It'd be nice if we had some sort of magic oracle that you could plug a device into and it's, oh yeah, this is this is good. I don't think it exists. I'm not sure it can exist. I don't. I, I agree uh, with you on that. I don't think so either. So, so my 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 answer to that is, well, let's talk about. Let's forget the thumb drives. Compartmentalize that for a second, and let's look at other ways people are trying to get into your system. Phishing emails. I mean, I get phishing emails, even with spam, you know, spam filters and everything that I get. Our employees get phishing emails. We all get them and we have to keep the employees trained. We talked about that a little bit, Beth, Mm -hmm. about the IT department's ongoing uh, goal of training employees. In fact, Keith, we were talking about before before we got you on the line here, I had a customer who told me that their IT group at their particular uh, facility uh, has started creating bogus, but, you know, their own phishing type emails and they covertly send it out to employees to see if they click on it. And then if they do click on it, they have to, it, it flags them and they have to go do so many hours of cybersecurity training and that he was saying half the engineering department had so much backlog of training because they they had fallen fallen captive to these these really good phishing emails that the IT folks have been sending out that they were going to have to who's going to shut down their engineering department for a month because they had to all go to training for so so long to make up for all the stuff. So clearly there is such a push for phishing and 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 then you know web links, HTML links, all this kind of stuff. I mean. What's really happening if someone clicks on one of those? All kinds of things can happen. I think, um, I mean, Windows systems are a little bit better than they used to be, but for many, many years, uh, something that you launched from an email or from a web page could fire up some local application, and then that local application might not be secure, so it might have various ways of being used uh, differently from its intended purpose. Uh, like you could put macros in a in a Word document, and then th- that could do almost arbitrary things on your computer simply by viewing a Word document. Uh, and again, some of those things have been improved over the years, but the potential is quite large. And um, web browsers and, and computer systems in general are very complex beasts, and they have lots of security holes, no matter how much they work at eliminating those holes, the more lines of code in a piece of software, the more vulnerable it is likely to be. So, um, you know, I, I mean, one of my rules would be like, you should, you should just never click on a link in an email. I mean, 
at least uh, 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 if it goes and loads a web page, maybe it's okay. But it just you know really, especially if someone says download this piece of software in an email, just don't do it. Yeah. And yeah. no matter how legitimate it looks, because the attackers are getting more clever at disguising uh, things to look like they're legitimate. Uh, and I get these all the time. Uh, I do. There's a couple of things I do uh, personally, which is I just don't use my. I use a different email address, but for instance, for business transactions or for personal ones or for e anything I do business with uh, is on a different email address than I use for any other purpose. And mm -hmm. so when I get uh, an email, say, claiming to be from a certain bank, even if I have an account with that bank, I know it's not legitimate because it's going to the wrong address. Ah. Um, so that, that helps me. <laughs> but uh, I think it's sort of like you know, you have to kind of have things like that so that you can more easily detect whether something's bogus. And sometimes it's a little tricky. I have to look at a message very carefully and look at all the message headers and things like that and say, I I'm not convinced that this is legitimate, so I'm just going to ignore it or delete it. Um, so email's a little different than the web. There's a sort of a different set of threats, uh, but there, and it's not just that your computer system might be compromised. There's everyone is trying to monitor people's behavior, and this can be used for um, business purposes too. Is just find out, you know, sort of get intelligence on some other business to see how they can utilize that against you. And so there's various ways of, of websites, you know, contacting each other and exchanging information about you. Um, and again. Be careful what you click on. Maybe just don't click on anything in an email. So, um, may I ask a question real quick, Keith? Sure, sure. Uh, this is from my perspective uh, as a marketer. So, if I want to send an, a link to someone, how to uh, or you know get a, a link that I'm expecting from someone? Do you copy and paste it rather than clicking on it? Is that you won't make a difference? It doesn't matter. So I think I think that doesn't actually help. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know of a good way. I think um, it's like the USB. Have, it's is, like the USB stick. There's not a good way okay. to know, is there? I don't right. think there is. I, the internet grew up very quickly, and I was reflecting the other uh, reflecting the other day that we really a lot of this stuff was not designed for the kind of hostility that we're seeing. So a lot of these things got settled in the mid-1990s, let's say, but the internet was still rather small at the time, and the, the scale of threats and the, it's much more profitable to like now to do various kinds of attacks because there are so many billions of people using the internet. And uh, when the internet was small, these things weren't such a concern, but they are now. And um, the other thing, any kind of mechanism that gets designed to try to protect you know, the users or or their privacy or anything like that, it gets designed at some point in time. But over time, people figure out how to exploit it. Mm -hmm. And so the design is more or less frozen because it's hard to change things once there's a lot of inertia around it. Um, but the exploiters keep working. So they can, they can work at this at the end of time, <laughs> figure out, you know uh, – how they can use this against uh, against people. Well, so, yeah, it's it's a mess. You hit the nail on the head. It's profitable, and when there's profit, when there's money to be made. So going yep. back to my my 
my point of opposition to myself about, you know, how big a deal really is this? It's a huge deal because there's all kinds of money to be made. And what's being, what's, so, so what's been learned, and we talked about this in, in, uh, across the last year, is that there is a lot of potential money to be made just in ransomware. But one of the clean targets is OT. Because up till probably this year, maybe last year, the OT side, the operational technology side, the machine side, was not known to most of your of your cyber criminals. Um, it was it's it's not a known asset, and it's different. Our IOTA helps bridge that difference in a secure way, but it's a difference. Well, now all of a sudden, it's kind of known, and in knowing. And as they've learned the OT side of things, they've learned inherent vulnerabilities. For example, most most of those systems do not have credentials, and they should. But we don't think about that because nobody ever comes here to, you know, you don't you're not going to lock the door if nobody ever comes there trying to break it down, right? Right. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, people are people are trying to to break that door down, and so that brings us to the next thing. Uh, so we talked about. In injection points, if we, if, you know, we we're talking about the the way viruses inject themselves into the human body, and and if you look at your your PC, whether it's Windows, whether it's Linux, whatever, if it's a desktop type environment, if it's on a machine on a device, if that device has got network capability, be it wireless or, or wired, if it's got Bluetooth capability, if it's got uh, USB capability, those kind of things, uh, probably not so much serial. Serial's probably not as big a threat, but still. You might be surprised, but it does exist. Yes, it's a threat. Yeah. And um, so anything yeah. that can let you into that box as an interface is a threat. So what's the next thing? So the next thing I always hear is, well, we're not connected or, or we're isolated or something like that. So isolation, in my opinion, is is probably, it's according to how you do it. Uh, it's, it can be better or it can be false security. But then we now have a lot of companies, manufacturers, and these again are manufacturers of quick solutions and quick fixes that are pushing with the with the the invention of 5G technology are pushing industrial manufacturing folks to install their their little device that's going to do direct connection to their cloud-based environment or their servers or whatever over 5G cellular. And my rant is doing that introduces a whole new injection point because even if your IT department's doing all they can do with all these multiple layers uh, in order to get their cyber risk reduced, a 5G connection bypasses all of that. What do you have to say about yeah, 5G? I, well, I don't, you know, to me, in some ways, 5G is not, it's a, it's the new buzzword. It's the new hype technology Uh and to my view, it's kind of just another wireless networking technology. So it's not necessarily fundamentally different, but they're trying to sell it more than they have in the past. Yeah. Um, and I think under some circumstances, this can be okay. I mean, I once worked on a product. It wasn't 5G. It was 4G, but it had cellular. Every, every one of these devices had a cellular connection back to our central server. It uploaded things to the cloud and so on and so forth. But those devices did not talk to anything else but this company's products. It was just a very limited niche application that had a wireless connection back to that company's servers. And 
and it, it didn't connect to anything else, not via internet or anything or ethernet or anything else. So in that case, I think the, the potential for damage is relatively limited. But when people say, well, you should tie all of your devices into our 5G you know, provisioning and, and you trust that, and then I think, no, now your devices are uh, at least potentially talking to each other and that, that there's potential for threats to propagate from one device to another. Uh, and so I'm not – there's multiple issues I have with this. And, again, one of them is why would you trust some big company to care a lot about your small operation if you have a small operation? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're it's – it's an impo- imbalance of power – they are going to care a lot about a big customer, but a small customer, they're not going to have a lot of resources to devote to making sure that the small customer's operations are secure. So, uh, and it's just, that's just economics. It's yeah. just, you know, they'll, they're, sure, they'll assign someone to talk to you, but that person will not be the person that really understands the system that well. They're not going to be in a position to fix things that are obvious or to go hunt down the vulnerabilities. Um, they, they're basically just trying to talk to you and make you happy. So, well, so I'm very skeptical of that approach. And and to that point, I, I, I made this point earlier in the podcast that if you look at the EULAs with any of the cloud-based services, be it Microsoft's or Amazon's or Google's or any of those, if you read the EULAs, which nobody does, right? Uh, but if you read the, the end user license agreement, EULA, uh, then it, it basically says you can't sue us for if you put something on our server that shouldn't be there. That's your fault, not ours. But also, if something happens to it, we're not responsible. They they shed all responsibility. So who's responsible? Well, presumably you. But in, and how all those things hold up is a question for you know uh, legal experts. But but I think it, it's another example of the same thing. They are dictating the terms to you. Yeah. If you were a peer. If you were a big enough concern that this big company has to talk to you and negotiate with you, well, then they're not dictating the terms anymore. You negotiate them. But as long as you're in the position of take it or leave it, you have to take our terms or don't use our product at all, uh, you're, you know, you're not probably going to get what you need. Yeah. And, and I think it's, yeah, it's just a mess. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in those kinds of arrangements. Well, and so then the question comes back, Brandon, really how big a deal is this to me? I mean, really, how many people are actually getting ransomed in industrial, you know, industrial manufacturing, industrial companies? How many are really getting ransomed? And I tell you, as we have talked about cybersecurity, uh, Beth, with, with, you know, over the last few months mm-hmm. and, and just across the last year, I've, I've been so surprised because I've kind of been a – you're skeptic at times too. I'm guilty of that of saying, you know, yeah, this this is a big deal if you're, you know, if you're some huge company or huge target or something like that. But but what about the smaller companies and that kind of stuff? It's probably not a big deal. And and I've been surprised with how many people I've talked to just this year. And I'm not going to mention any names, but I will say this: they're not saying I read about this company on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or something. You know, my company, the company that they work for, we were ransomed. And and in a couple of them, I was just like, you know, you work for a pretty, pretty, you know, broad facing company. I can't believe we didn't hear, I hadn't heard anything about this, hadn't heard read anything about it online or anything. And they're like, that's because we keep it under wraps, because we don't want anybody to know. Because especially if they're publicly traded, they don't want 
you know, to lose the confidence of their oh, of their yeah. their stockholders and all that kind of stuff. And so so they're trying to keep that. Now some of them, some of them had the wherewithal, and we haven't really gotten into this with Keith. And of course, we're going a little bit long, but I love talking with Keith, and this is why is you know, what to do, how to prepare yourself yeah. as far as risk analysis. And and one of the things, Keith, that you had had, had told me before was try to make a, a, a the ability to to put the system back, to back it up, have a good backup means, right? Absolutely. And I, I would go a little further than that, which is you should be able to restore your entire operation to a known working state. And that's every device in your system, every network device, every firewall, every intrusion detector, everything that you have that you rely on to keep your operation working satisfactorily, you need to be able to, in a very short amount of time, just reset everything and put it back in a state that you know works. And I would actually say that that's maybe the first step. Having a recovery plan is maybe even more important than any kind of vulnerability analysis, although you need to do that too. Mm-hmm. But the, the first thing is like, because if, if you get ransomware, you know, in a way, the first thing that you want to know is, well, you know, what does it take to get back to a state where we're not vulnerable? So I think that's, that's maybe the first thing, because you can plan that, you know, it, it, you have to pay attention to it. Uh, you have to be like backups can certainly be part of that, but you have to be a little careful with backups because you want them to be, you don't want to back up things to a local uh, USB device, for instance, because if your computer gets infected, that'll affect the backup too. So you have to be careful about how you do those. Maybe you can store them off-site and all that. But you also need to make sure when you're restoring from a backup, you need to make sure it's a good backup and that, that backup has not already been compromised. Mm-hmm. So that's a, whole, that's a whole kind of planning operation in itself. Um, but yeah, and it, and you need to keep those plans up to date. You need to be ready to able to do that at any time. So, be prepared. Put a put a plan in, a recovery plan in, and then start thinking about your systems, not just the systems, but the data that's on them, and decide what the risk is in terms of what should I do with this. And then if it's highly high risk, you got to start thinking about a way of putting that somewhere separate. Doing something kind of like your analogy of using two emails and you know doing that type of separation, those kind of tricks, but but you got to come up with a means of of arresting those risks to the best of what you feel like is reasonable. Is that is that a good way to put it? Yeah, you certainly have to do it. I would start by just trying to understand what all the potential holes are in all of your systems, and that's a tedious process because you have to look at every device, every communications port on each of those devices. You have to look at how you manage credentials in your organization. Uh, you have to look at how you manage physical security. There are layers and layers of defense that you need to have. You need to at least know what the vulnerabilities are. And I would say you want to do that before you even think about what the risks are. You just want to start by counting these things because you just need to have a broad picture of what the potential ways that your operation can be attacked. Uh, it's not a fun exercise, but once you have it, you're much less likely to overlook something. There's a very strong tendency, I call it hand-waving attacks or wishful thinking or whatever. You, you want to think, oh, that won't be a problem. And, and often it's because it's too hard to look at. And you, you want to you resist that temptation to make that, make that snap judgment. 
So the first thing you do is just list all the vulnerabilities and don't pay any attention to how likely you are they think they are to be used or anything like that. Just go through and make that list. And, and again, it could be like not only every device, but every network service on that device and so on and so forth. Once you have that list, then you can go through and say, well, what do you think the likely kinds of threats are? And that will help you sort of amplify which ones you pay more attention to. Like ideally you would address every threat that you have identified. Sometimes you're going to say, I don't know how to address that threat. And that's fine. You're still better off having made that identification, even if you don't know what to do about it yet. Yeah. And sometimes even a simple measure is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you've got to be pragmatic, but you really have to start from a point of view of having a, a broad view of your system and kind of an omniscient view. So I was just thinking about the concept of put it all back quickly. And so a lot of times when I think about that, I think about backing up servers, mail servers, database servers, things of that nature. But I want to throw it out there to those that are listening this also means backups of all your machine programs, all your PLC programs, your HMI programs, your robot code, all of that kind of stuff on the OT because that's where that's, the crosshairs are facing you right now. And it's on that OT side that we're seeing a lot of this marketing push for IoT disguised as or remote support, remote access disguised as IoT. We're seeing 5G, let's bypass IT because they're the enemy, they're the troublemakers. And as soon as it, all it takes is someone to inadvertently connect, you know, make a connection between that 5G network, as, as Keith pointed out, and bridge it over to through, through a hard connection or whatever, bridge it over to the rest of, of the OT devices that now someone has access to that if they can overcome whoever's you know controlling the 5G side, just like the target breach and the HVAC situation there. So Keith, always a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, you got something? Well, I was going to ask if he had any, if that was all of his No, uh, go ahead. Go tips. ahead. Well, I mean, I don't know how much time you have because I could talk about this all day. Oh, yeah, you probably but, could. Uh, could you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd be happy to talk with you more about it. I was going to say, is there any sort of major point that I would make? And, you know, I, one, one point I would say is don't, place all your trust in perimeter security like a firewall or, or a fence around a building or the guard out front. You want to build systems that have defense in depth so that if an attacker is going to be successful, they've got to penetrate multiple defenses. Mm -hmm. And you don't want the, the – there was a, like the Farsar cartoon with the polar bears in the igloo saying, hey, these things are great. They have a crunchy outside and a chewy center. You don't want to have a chewy center. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, want, you, want to, you want to make it difficult for something to attack you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think the other thing is once you have this, this sort of list of vulnerabilities in place, this is something that you want to maintain over time so that you always have a view into what your vulnerabilities are and what you've done about them. And then when you start planning future operational networks, you'll have that experience to know uh, what things do we want to make sure that we're not as vulnerable next time. And you have this, this set of vulnerabilities that you are familiar with and you know how to address these things when you build the next one. Um, so, yeah, and also you just want to keep that list of vulnerabilities very closely held because it's basically a blueprint for how to attack your system. Yep. <laughs> so you, you, about two or three people should know about that, and that's enough. But yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. Did Very you have good. anything else? No, that was it. I I just wanted to 
give Keith a chance to share some last thoughts. <laughs> well, and then and so so I think I think I agree with that. I mean, I agree with that. Of course, of course, I agree with you 100 percent, Keith. And I appreciate your insights. I think about our iota. And and how the data commander and then now IOTA uh, is is designed and how the appliance is designed and Keith's familiar with that appliance, um, but but it's designed such that we aren't I'm, we are not claiming that it's a cure all do all for cybersecurity concerns, but as far as how we isolate the two networks, if it's used in that in that regard mm-hmm. uh, across the network ports and the NIC ports, they're hardware based. It's called hardened, so it's not a firewall. It's a hardware-based hardened uh, gateway. Yeah, hardened gateway. Uh, it, it, so it's hardware-based solution. But what that means is, is that means they've got to break down a wall and then break down another wall and then break down another wall before they can get they can do any damage. Well, we take pride in those three walls, that three-wall approach, which means it's better than two walls and it's certainly better than no walls. But it's it, it doesn't mean that it's the cure-all. There has to be other walls. And then just like Keith has pointed out, it doesn't mean that it keeps people from breaking into your building or employees coming in uh, with with contaminated thumb drives or uh, unknowingly, especially work, this remote work, this new work style, right? The hybrid work model means that you've got people working from home and then they're coming in and working. So they're either remoting in, so remote access, but on the same computer, I promise, they're out shopping Amazon, they're out doing their own personal email, they're they're you know, they're playing games, they're going to websites, they may be going to websites they have no business going to, uh, that kind of stuff, because it's on their network at home. And then suddenly they're remote in. Well, now if they've got an affected computer and they're VPN in, Keith, am I wrong here? Is there any difference if you're doing a, v, a remote access, even if it's encrypted and all that kind of stuff? Is that any different from taking an infected computer, bringing it inside the workplace, and plugging into the network there? I mean, I think no, not not in practice. But I would say don't even trust the machines that you know are on your floor connected to your local network. You know, the, the, again, it's that perimeter security. There's no magic about the firewall that just because someone can tunnel into your, your internal network on a VPN does not mean they're trustworthy. But I wouldn't even trust – you want to trust those local computers as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you have a system that's based on the idea that says anytime you're inside the firewall, you're okay and trustworthy, that's a pretty dubious assumption. Yeah. And yeah. – and I think you have to build systems that are more layered and where the the defenses aren't only at the perimeter. So that if someone uh, tries to do something from any computer, wherever, whether they're remote or not, um, that you have defenses against those things. Yeah. And um, it's a lot more complicated. It's a lot harder to understand. But that's the reality. You can't trust – most attacks are internal, whether they are – you know, by a disgruntled employee or whether they're by some system that got inside the network and that was already compromised, it's the same problem in a way. And, uh, you know, being safe against external attackers is not sufficient. Yeah. Well, we're rolling in on a long podcast. It's going to be a long one. Yeah. And, 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 but it's been a great podcast, I think. Um, We've covered a lot of stuff. But we do want to wrap up now. So, so Keith, thank you very much for your time and for your expertise and sharing that with us today. Is there any anything else you want to add? Do you want to give out a contact? Or? No. 
Nope. No, that's fine. Nothing comes to mind. And uh, you want to give out your social security me... number or your personal email? Probably or not. Tell it. Uh, my favorite is, by the way, if you guys listening are on social media and you see these cool little games where it says like, answer all the follower questions and pay, paste the answers and send it to five people you know, and it's stuff like, where were you born? Oh gosh. What 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 <laughs> you know? What what's your what, where did you, what what where did you go on your your honeymoon? You know those, those kind of those are security questions. Those Stop are. answering them. They're not <laughs> right. cutesy. Don't do that. It, it's not cutesy. It might be cutesy for grandma and for you know your your grandchildren and all this kind. Of, it's not. Stop. Stop it. So don't tell people anything they don't need to know that's right. or that you don't think they need to know. Yeah, it, it blows and me away. I don't even accept. I don't even accept connection requests on LinkedIn from strangers. I don't do it. I yeah. like it, it. This is not. Having more people know, you know, somewhat personal information about me, even if it's just work history, that's not to my advantage. I I don't want to disclose that to lots of people. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, be careful about what information you give out. Yes. So this is not Keith Moore. <laughs> <laughs> this is someone playing Keith Moore. Uh, so, Keith, thank you again very much uh, for, for, for taking some time. So, Beth, this is our final wrap-up yes, podcast. For 2021. For 2021 and season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we will return in 2022, mm-hmm. looking at some changes, maybe some change to the uh, to the whole platform, the yeah. way we do things, and that kind of stuff for 2022. We'll certainly let you know as that rolls around. Um, I but would, I would suggest that people subscribe to our RSS feed or to whatever platform they listen on, and then that way they can get updates. They'll be notified when we get one, and also follow us on any social platforms because they'll get notified when a new episode drops. Right. But you won't get emails with links in them. No. <laughs> so all of that's voluntary. But uh, certainly, um, we, we want to be very uh, astute when it comes to cybersecurity, and we want you guys to do that as well. We also want to wish you and everyone a very Merry Christmas and a Happy, Happy New Year. And Keith, I'll wish the same to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for being with us. Beth. Yes, Brandon. So if they need Elatech, they can call us 865-409-1555. Check us out online on www.elatech.com, E-L-L-I-T-E-K.com. And then, of course, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You got it. All right. Beth, have a fantastic and wonderful holiday. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yep. Take Thank care. you all for listening. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you.